welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. We clip. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. The play-in tournament starts Tuesday. With me, as always, is my good friend Alex Spears. Alex, tell us what happened in the NBA this week. What a week, Andrew. Well, it all started last Friday night with the most impressive win of the season for the no-jaw Grizzlies. Playing without four starters, including Jaw, Triple J, Steven Adams, Desmond Bain, the Grizz beat a fully healthy Phoenix Suns team 122-114. to Was it because of an outlier shooting night? No, it wasn't. They shot under 30% from three. It seems like regardless of who's in the lineup, the Grizz continue to be the same team, grabbing 16 offensive rebounds to Phoenix's two despite no Steven Adams. The Grizzlies are now 55-25 and and have officially clinched the two-seed. On Saturday night, we have the first of several head-to-head matchups between the Eastern Conference playing teams, all fighting for position. On Saturday, it was the Hawks beating the Nets 122-115 behind 36 points for Trey Young. Three months ago, the Hawks were 17-25. and Travis Schlenk was going on the radio saying, oh, this looks pretty bad, I might have screwed up. Since then, the Hawks have gone 25-13. and The problem is that they're still in the ninth spot as of Friday afternoon, needing a few more wins to avoid having to win two in the play-in. On Sunday night, we mentioned last week that Giannis had three national TV games that could swing the MVP race. In the first game, however, the story was Luka, who led the Mavs to a 118-112 victory over the Bucks in Milwaukee. Since the new year, Dallas is 33-12, tied for the third best record in the league. They're also currently two games up on the Jazz in the fourth spot and will play either Utah or Denver in the first round of the playoffs. There were no games on Monday night because of the national championship game, which brings us to Tuesday night and the last chance for the Los Angeles Lakers to officially kick off their 2021-22 season. The Suns, however, (laughs) were more than happy to send the Lakers packing, winning 121-110. The Lakers are now officially out of the postseason, a postseason, by the way, that includes 20 of the 30 available teams. The bar could not have been any lower, and still, the Lakers failed to clear it. They now enter the postseason with the oldest roster in the league, limited flexibility, no picks in the 2022 draft, and a dysfunctional front office. Pretty wild, Andrew. (laughs) On Wednesday. The Clippers continue to slowly piece their team back together. It was the return of Norm Powell on Wednesday, who scored 24 in a 113-109 win over Phoenix. While we still have no official updates on Kawhi, he was spotted at Clippers practice, and it seems like there might be a chance he comes back if they make it to the playoffs. That will begin to be decided next Tuesday night when the Clippers take on the Timberwolves in the 7-8 matchup in Minnesota. And finally, on Thursday night, the Toronto Raptors defeated the Sixers at home 119 to 114. Pascal Siakam had a 37-11 and 12 triple-double in the win. In a game where the Raptors were without Fred Van Vliet, without OG Ananobi, 
Philly-Toronto is the current 4-5 matchup, which still could change, but if it remained that way, it would be a worrying matchup for Philly, not only because the Raptors are a good team, but also because we learned this week that Matisse Thibel would not be able to play playoff games in Toronto due to his unvaccinated status. Add in the fact that James Harden has looked rough lately, is it time to press the panic button in Philly, Andrew? Playoffs start next week. It's going to be so fun. I honestly, there's so many matchups that I'm looking forward to. I just can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for the play-in games. I can't, this is just going to be so much fun. And we'll know so much more next week. And we actually do a playoff preview show next Saturday. So get ready for that. And uh, Al, season's almost yeah. over. Season ends Sunday. It's time for another yeah. edition of the Slammies. Uh, yes, it is time for the Slammies, our end-of-year awards. Now, we did do a version of the Slammies earlier. It was kind of a test run, you know? Yeah, yeah Test yeah. run trying it out, but the end-of-season Slammies, I mean, this is where it's at, Andrew. You know, <laughs> these are the big ones. Um, obviously, there's been a ton of... Uh, it's awards season. Yeah. Uh, plenty of awards out there if you want to go online and, and real awards that you can go and argue about. Uh, but th- those awards, it's too toxic, Andrew. It's too toxic for me right now out there. <laughs> so we made up our own awards that we can give out. And let's start it off with the Raise the Roof Award. This award goes to the player whose ceiling has changed the most compared to how we felt coming into the season. So who do you have for the Raise the Roof Award? I've got Tyrese Maxey of the Philadelphia 76ers, who, nice player, played well for them in the playoffs last year, 21st pick in the draft. Great. If he's just a role player, great. Average eight points and... Almost two boards and two assists. You thought, great, okay. You can just get a competent guy out there. This season, he's averaging 17, 3, and 4 on 43% from three on four attempts. I mean, that's a that's a real great player. He's only taken 13 shots a game. He's kind of taken over. He allowed them to make this James Harden deal. Whether or not you like the James Harden deal, that's not the point, is that because they could keep him, you felt you still felt confident that the Sixers had a good team. And if the Sixers do progress in the playoffs this year, if they get to the conference finals or whatever, like Tyrese Maxey is going to be a huge part of that. Still only 21 years old, very young player, still growing. Uh, this to me, the ceiling has increased dramatically for Tyrese Maxey. I would agree. He was my second choice. And and the stat you mentioned about his three-point shooting, only Steph has done that at that young of an age. Yeah. At 21, shooting over 43% on over four attempts per game, it's Steph. Now, if you expand it to age 22, like then you get people like Michael Porter Jr. last year, Desmond Bain this year. But still, that is incredible shooting for a 21-year-old. Yeah. Who, I, I mean, I don't, re- I don't remember his like pre-draft process as much, but I don't remember him being talked about as like a sharpshooter. Well, he wasn't. That was that. the that was the problem is that people didn't know what he was going to be as a scorer in the league. I don't think anybody would have imagined this. I think maybe they would have said maybe in his prime he could do this, but not at 21. Uh, so I think that's a great pick. And uh, I, I decided to go with a player where it's as much about him as it is about his team. I went with a spur because going into this season, I was feeling very blah on the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Post-Kawhi, it's like, yeah, I like all these guys. They're cool. But who is changing the franchise's trajectory? Who has the ceiling that can move this team 
out of the playing range. I didn't know if the Spurs had that guy on the roster as much as I liked all the guys that they had selected in the draft. But I feel much differently now, and it's because of DeJounte Murray. Mm -hmm. DeJounte made an all-defense team his second year in the league, but then he tore his ACL and kind of became a forgotten man as he gradually worked his way back. And now at age 25, we're starting to finally see the full picture of what happens when a defensive point guard develops a high-level offensive game. So let's start at a very basic level. He's averaging 21 points, eight and a half rebounds, and over nine assists per game. In NBA history, there have only been 10 players who have averaged 28 and eight over a season. It's Wilt, Luka, Harden, LeBron, Magic, Jokic, MJ, Oscar, and Russ. That's the list. Yeah, that's wild. And we now add DeJounte onto that list. And he's really grown as a scorer while taking on a significantly increased role in the Spurs offense. He is now in the 88th percentile for usage among point guards and is scoring efficiently at the rim and in the mid-range. And his play in the mid-range is particularly exciting since that's where a lot of NBA superstar scorers excel. And if you watch a sample of how he's scoring in the mid-range, one of the things that will immediately jump out is how much space he is creating there. It's sort of terrifying because if he can create that space in the mid-range, if his three-point shot ever comes around, He could be a deadly three-level scorer. And there are some signs that that might be happening. First, as much as he's willing, or he's much more willing to take threes this season. He's taking career high. Mm -hmm. He's only hit 33% on the season, but he's at 36% on over five attempts per game post-All-Star break. We talked about pre-leap guys a few weeks ago. We should have picked DeJounte because he is averaging 26-9-9 post-All-Star break during the most critical part of the Spurs season. And even with that increased usage, he's not turning the ball over. He's in the 85th percentile for turnovers among point guards, similar to what he did last year when his usage was much lower. So if that three ball comes, we're talking about an efficient three-level scorer who, oh, by the way, is also an all-defensive team candidate every year. And that's before even mentioning the jump he made as a playmaker. Per cleaning the glass, his assist percentage, so the percentage of the Spurs made shots that he assisted on, jumped from 24.7% last year to 38.9% this year. Among point guards, that's a jump from the 32nd percentile to the 90th percentile. And again, he's doing all this without a significant increase in his turnover percentage. So he's becoming this all-around player. And even though he got recognition this season with his first All-Star appearance, what we're seeing post-All-Star break with his shooting makes you think that the readjusted ceiling is even higher than we might have thought. And that's exactly what the Spurs needed. And if he came back next year and averaged like 25, 8 and 8 with his usual good defense, I really wouldn't be shocked. And that is an elite player. And I just was not thinking about DeJounte Murray that way coming this season. Even around All-Star break, I wasn't thinking of him in that way. Like he he continues to make jumps within this season. Yeah, and, and now the Spurs kind of need one of their guys that they've gotten in the middle of the draft to pop, whether that's Keldon Primo Johnson or Keldon, still, yeah. yeah, Keldon's still 22. Vassell's still 21. I mean, I'm not a huge Lonnie Walker guy, but he's only 23 years old. And Primo is the youngest guy in the league. If they can get one of those guys to pop along with DeJounte, then maybe you're working with something. And they've got a lot of guys. I mean, I listed a lot of guys that could potentially right. uh, a lot of do something for them. Yeah. And that actually leads me to our, our next award which, Al, is the Lost in Translation Award, the award that goes to a team that we understand the least going into the offseason. And to me, it's the Hawks. 
And Hunter's a huge reason for that. He's only played 51 games this season. We've had 54 from John Collins. We've only had 61 from Bogdanovich. What are they going to be? They made the conference finals last year. Do they have another magical run in them? I severely doubt that. They're second in offense. So like Trey Young, who has played almost all the games this season, is like the hub of their offense. But their defense has been much worse than it was last season. You know, they ended last season as the 18th ranked defense in the NBA, which is not good. You're still bottom half of the league. But then to take such a severe step back after going to the conference finals, like what do we what do we do with that? And then what do they do with the vets that are on their roster? Like, does is Gallinari going to stick around? Do they try to promote a Kongwu and try to do something with Clint Capella? Like, I don't know what they're going to do with the roster, but like the fast forward button that they hit with getting the free agents and the trades that they made obviously propelled them to the conference finals. But now you look at it and it's like, man, they got a lot of money on their books and and man, they're just, they're just not that good of a team, but they have a great young player in Trey young and they need somebody else to step up. And it, it could be Herter again, who hasn't had the best season. It could be Hunter. Uh, what happens with John Collins? Does John Collins stick around? I don't know. I mean, there's to me, there's so much up in the air, and I don't know that necessarily like moving on from any of these guys is going to propel them, or a trade, or even just internal development. Is that going to get them to where they want to go, or did they somehow peak at the very beginning? I don't know. Yeah, that, that's a good pick. I, compared to the team I chose, like at least the Hawks have Trey Young, and they do have some young players who would be valuable in, in a trade situation. Sure. Because I went with the team that we had this week on Wheel of Fandom, the Wizards. Like, yeah. after watching this team for a week, listening to some of the fan podcasts, like I just it's hard for me to see where all this is going. Because you have the veteran core with Beal, Kuzma, KCP, Porzingis, that mm-hmm. is like, in this Eastern Conference, feels like a play-in team in the best of times. Yeah. And then you have their three recent top 15 picks, Rui, Denny, and Kispert, I don't have a good feel for any of them, really. Like, maybe Kispert, you figure if he eventually starts hitting threes at a high clip, you understand who that player is. But Rui and Denny are still so confusing to me. Like, who do they? Who do the Wizards want them to be? What yeah. are they? Do other teams value them if they did want to make a trade? And then you have the uncertainty with Beal. Like, they want to build around Beal, but A, it's been five years of Beal as the undisputed number one on that team, and they have three playoff wins. And B... They don't have a ton of great options to significantly upgrade this team. We mentioned the uncertainty with their young players, but also they have no extra first and their own 23 first is owned by OKC and is protected through 26, which means that until that pick conveys, they can't trade a first until 2028. So if the plan is to build around Beal and try to add another impact piece, they're limited in what they can offer. Like no team feels as stuck on the treadmill of mediocrity than the Wizards. And the idea that they're going to go all in on Bradley Beal with a five-year, $240 million contract is just terrifying to me. Like, to what end? Like, Porzingis, who has looked great since going to Washington, he hasn't played 60 games in a season since the Wizards won a playoff series. And that was a long time ago. That was Mm -hmm. 2016-17 when he was on the Knicks. So viewing him as like the second piece that's going to push them over the top, to be like a solidified playoff team. I just don't see it. And so I'm just lost with them. And yeah. and it, a lot can change because like the Beal thing could go a different way this summer and all of a sudden they're rebuilding and it makes more sense to me. 
but it feels like we're headed towards Beal re-signing this massive contract. And I just don't know what you do after that. Yeah. it They're building a team with like two number twos at best in, in Beal and Porzingis. And the Mavs even said, you know what? We'd rather not. We'll take your number three for what we perceived as our number two <laughs> to, yeah. to help our team. And that's scary. Porzingis' injury history and Beal's, for that matter, are both really scary. And maybe the answer is that they're just going to be a bad team no matter what happens. <laughs> you know, now, like, hey, <laughs> we, we, we discussed them today. So maybe Josh will talk us off the ledge. Maybe, so. you know, maybe he'll give us something exciting to think about with the Wizards. Uh, The next award is the Stat of the Year Award. This award goes to the most shocking stat of the year. And I ended up going with the the stat we all know. We've heard it over and over again. But the Grizzlies record without Ja Morant. The 20-4 and record. I just think that is so impressive. And I was thinking about Memphis and Phoenix. Because outside of Chris Paul, like both of those teams have really young cores. Memphis is obviously is younger. But they're dominating at such a young level. Like, remember back in the early 2010s, watching the Thunder, who at that time, you know, KD, Russ, and Harden. When I was watching that team, I was not thinking in my head, I'm watching three future MVPs. Like, at that time, that's not how I was. I was thinking KD is a superstar. Like, one. Russ is like, Russ is like very exciting, but I don't know where this is going. It's a wild And then Harden, yeah. And Harden was like, oh, this is a nice shooter off the bench. Yeah, But like I was not thinking of it as this is three future MVPs. And so yeah. why these two teams, the Suns and the Grizzlies, are so exciting to me is because I just wonder if like in five years we're going to look back and not to say that there's three MVPs on either of these teams, <laughs> but just that we'll look back and be like, oh, that's why they were so dominant. They had those guys at a super yeah. young age. Like our perception of these other young guys outside of Booker, outside of Ja will be so much different in a couple of years. And I think yeah. that that 20 and four record is kind of like a flashing red sign, like warning sign. Like there's other things going on in Memphis beyond John Morant. Yeah. And even just the coaching, I, that's one thing I feel like has gotten so much better uh, is that like getting these new guys who really know how to coach has made a big difference. And so yeah. I, I think that's a piece of that puzzle too. Uh, I had a hard time with this one, Al. I, I, I scoured the internet for you for scoured numbers. I I went I was I was as on lots of different sites trying to figure out what it was. Is it Jokic's true shooting percentage at sixty six percent with a variety of shots? Like that's pretty big, but I don't know. That's not that cool. Is it the guys who lead the league in charges? Do you know who it is? Do you know who the two guys are? They're tied currently with the most charges in the league. So this is charges taken. Yeah. I mean, is Lowry up there? Lowry's up there, but he's number three. Ooh. Who, who is it? It's Blake Griffin and Kevin Love are tied for the most <laughs> charges in the that NBA. That makes season. sense. Yeah. Shout out to Alex Schiffer, who read an article about Blake on this. But no, it's not that. It's this, Al. The Jazz are already falling apart before our very eyes. And the one thing that they have always clung to is screen assist. The master of oh, screen no. assist is Rudy oh, Gobert. Oh, no. Well, there's a new master in town. They're losing that, too. It's Steven Adams, who currently oh. leads the NBA 
in screen assists. Oh, oh, oh. He has the most total screen assists. He leads the league in per 36 screen assists. He averages one more per 36 than Rudy Gobert. What are you going to do now, Utah fans? It's all over. Wow, Rudy's reign is over. That's big news. I haven't, even, I haven't heard that discussed. It's big news. Um, okay, our next award is the Get Off My Lawn NBA Twitter Complaint of the Year, which goes to the random NBA Twitter thing that bothers us the most. Uh, what do you got for this, Andrew? It's Russell Westbrook, period, the end. Period. It's everything. It's the Russell Westbrook defenders that have Russell Westbrook as their profile picture, and they're like, nobody mess with Russ. It's all about the fit of the team. How could they? You put Russ in the corner all season, you expect him to do what he does? Yeah, right. What's wrong with you guys? Hate that. It's the people that absolutely destroy Russ as if he's never been a good NBA player ever. Well, of course, Kevin left him. He's just, look how horrible is he? Loses with Kevin, he loses with LeBron, he loses with... It's just like, okay, that's not it either. And then even Russell Westbrook himself going up to the podium and saying that he's mad about <laughs> West Brick. I'm over all of it. I'm done with every single thing that includes Russell Westbrook. I'm very close to just muting the word Westbrook on Twitter because I am tired of it. Now, Andrew, what, what if I told you? Next season, you could be watching Eric Collins calling a Westbrook to LaMelo to Miles Bridges <laughs> transition alley-oop. What do you think about that? Uh, that's about the only thing that could save this ship right now because it, it's going down. It's ugly. Everybody looks bad. There's not one group on Twitter that, lo that looks good that's either defending him or trying to dunk on yeah. him. Like nothing, nobody looks good in it. It's, it is just an, a, a disaster that I'm just frankly just so tired of. I'm ready for it to be over as well. Um, well, that was a good one. Mine do not feel as good uh, in comparison. Um, you know, the first one I put is uh, people who quote retweet memes and, and put emojis. You know okay. what I mean? Like they, sure. they quote retweet a meme and then put the laughing crying emoji. It's like, yeah. we're not dumb. Like, I can use context clues to figure out why you retweeted a meme. You don't have to add your commentary. Because what happens is if it's a really good meme, I'll get like seven quote retweets in my feed. It's all the same meme. I get yeah. it. It was funny. Just retweet it. But that actually wasn't what I chose. Okay. Okay. I've mentioned it to you. I mentioned this to you before. But uh -huh. when it comes to ESPN talking head shows or yeah. like FS1, whatever. Right. Like, Everyone on NBA Twitter basically agrees that these shows are for entertainment. Yeah. That the that the people doing them are kind of playing characters. You know, it's kind of like a heightened version of themselves. No question. We, we kind of all agreed not to take it that seriously, except every single day. I feel like smart NBA people are quote retweeting these yeah. talking head shows that I otherwise would never be exposed to. I know. Dunking on them. And the, the entire point of these shows is to generate conversation, Andrew, yeah. to get eyeballs on them. You feed right into it, whether it's Skip Bayless or Nick Wright or whoever. It's like, I, I don't need to see these shows. I don't want to watch these shows anyways. And now I have yeah. to watch them every day on my Twitter timeline. We can yeah. just ignore it. Just yeah. ignore it. It's so powerful to ignore. Yeah, I agree. I don't know that I would have heard anything that Kendrick Perkins said this season uh, if, if it he, wasn't, if he hadn't been people making fun of him, <laughs> it's great Perk. for him. 
I love Perk. Yeah, he, Perk is getting what he wants. It doesn't matter whether you say good things or bad things. It's just all about promotion. Let's get the They're viewership the winners. They're up the winners. Here. Uh, oh, okay, boy. next next award, the new to us NBA Media Person of the Year. So every every year, you know, you start the new season. There might be a new writer you find out about, or maybe a new podcast you start following that person. This award mm-hmm. goes to the NBA Media Person who we did not follow before this season, but who has enriched our NBA lives the most. Yeah, who did you have for this? I'm giving this to Mark Schindler, who I feel like has had just a really great season. I knew about Mark before the season, but I I feel like he is really coming into his own as a writer and then he's he's actually on the daily ding i've had him on a few times with me on wednesdays uh he's just a really smart basketball writer good on podcasts like i feel like he's um i feel like he's had an awesome year so um yeah i've got mark i i actually he i i I got down to a final two andrew and mark was one of them as well yeah uh because i i did not know mark before this season and Mm -hmm. uh i've never mentioned this to him but the only time he used to be show up on my timeline was for his food takes. So that's like all I knew about Mark Schindler. I was like, does this guy even talk about the NBA? All all I ever see are his food takes. And then finally I started following him. And the thing I love about Mark is that he writes about the teams that no one wants to watch. Like generally that no one wants to watch. He wrote an article about the Thunder defense this year. It was mostly because of you, but he still did it. And and when you're a fan of a team that's bad, or or if you're in a small market that doesn't get a lot of attention, like you can start to think that like you're just being a super homer about some of your players. You almost need yeah. someone outside the fan base to like let you know that it's okay to be excited about these guys. He, he and sent I, me he, to his. To this is this is a great point because he sent me a DM uh, t- three weeks ago, I think, that said, "Man." I really like Aaron Wiggins. <laughs> like, <laughs> no one has thoughts about Aaron Wiggins outside of Oklahoma City. Right. No one outside of the 405 has uh, like any sort of context for what kind of player Aaron Wiggins is, except for Mark. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and as a fan of one of those teams, it's just nice when somebody notices a player on your team, good or bad, just talks about them. Yeah. Just to hear someone other than like the normal team podcast that you listen to yeah. Mention it is very exciting. Sure. So since you went with Mark, I'm going to go with my other option, Andrew. I'm going with Trill Bro Dude. Oh, Trill Bro. Dude, Trill bro. Who, oh, oh. I, I, I got to give it to Trill. Trill's been making waves this season. I feel like this has been a bringing great season for Trill. to the NBA Twitterverse. Yes, he's, he's been bringing the slop. And uh, what I love about Trill is that my favorite fan podcasts are the ones where fans are allowing themselves to be fans yeah where they're not trying to like be a beat writer you know like yeah. they're actually yeah. treating it as a fan they're letting their they're letting themselves become emotional about yeah. the team they're unhinged you know, we're, yes <laughs> yes they're unhinged which is the way fan podcast should be that's what makes yeah. them entertaining and i just think with this sixers season there was like no better guide through that for me than trill bro dude this year like yeah. he really just brought out he he allowed me to experience what it was like to be a Sixers fan just by following him and listening to the Uno Ball podcast, which is a great podcast. It just it fits so perfectly with this Sixers season. So I, I gave yeah. it to uh, Trill Bro Dude. Shout He's the guy that people are retweeting uh, laughing emojis, uh, quote retweeting That's laughing true. emojis from. That him. is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, three awards left. Our next one is our best take of the year. The award goes to the take we're most proud of. This one's obvious for me. 
Yeah. I picked the Cavs to not only beat their over-under, but to win 10-plus more games You've been riding high on this for a long time, Al. Long and I, time. And I, and I will continue because it makes me feel so good. And it gets me excited <laughs> about next year. Because remember, this is, this is something that happens most years. It happened now in 19 of the last 21 seasons. Where yeah. a team that was projected to miss the playoffs not only beats their over-under, but beats it by at least 10 wins. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for next season to see if we can figure out who that team is going to be. Maybe it'll be the Spurs. Who knows? Maybe Could the Spurs, they'll, they'll probably be a good option. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm riding on that forever. Yeah. Uh, mine's the Celtics. That's the turnaround team. They were they they were really bad for a long time, and I just saw their defense was in a good spot, and took a chance on those Celtics, and they became like the story of the second half of this season, which is kind of unbelievable. But yeah, they're, I'm most proud of that one. The risky thing for you though, Andrew, they do have to win a playoff series, and if they have to play Toronto, sounds like they some do. of their players will not be able to play in Toronto. Which stay could hurt you. away from the Raptors, please. Uh, second to last award, our worst take of the year. Okay, we just pat ourselves on the back. So yeah. what is the, what is the award? This is the award that goes to the take we are most embarrassed by. And I'm going to go with one that I don't even think I verbalized a lot on the podcast. Okay, okay. And it's my feelings about the New Orleans Pelicans. Okay. Like the way I thought about that franchise in my head through large yeah. stretches of the season. Because coming into this mm-hmm. season, you had all this stuff with David Griffin. Like he had terrible coaching hire with Stan Van Gundy. Clearly didn't work. He had that bad Steven Adams trade, the first one that never really worked out. You add on to that the Zion stories that just kind of like had this cloud over the franchise for the entire season. Yeah. Add into that the awful start. They started three and 16. So like what changed? Well, obviously they started playing better. They're going to be in the play-in game now. In addition, they have three rookies that are positively contributing to a team that has been winning yeah. with Herb Jones, Trey Murphy III, and Jose Alvarado. Yeah. That is really impressive. Even if you don't think the ceilings for any of those guys are super high, the fact that you have three of them on a team that is really like that has been playing really well since that bad mm-hmm. start, that is super impressive to me and thinking about their future. Next was the CJ trade, which I initially didn't love, but I even mentioned this on the pod that like I I got it pretty quickly because it's like they barely had to give up anything for CJ mm-hmm. McCollum. And if he's going to be your third player on this team going into next season on a, in a small market franchise, like that feels amazing. Sure. And then you add into that their pick situation, which this I, w- I just wasn't thinking of. The fact that the Lakers pick has become so valuable yeah. where the Pelicans are now probably going to get at least a top eight pick. But who knows? That could jump up. And we didn't think they were going to get the pick at all. Right. Because we thought it was going to go to the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, yeah. And they still have the potential to keep their own pick. If they somehow win two games in the play on yeah. play in, and now they have like two top 16 picks in the draft. Like the way I feel about this franchise has just changed like 180. Because mm-hmm. we talk about there's so many teams. The Spurs probably would be in this too, where they are solid teams. We like them, but we, they need one more piece. And the difference with New Orleans is that guy, that one more piece is already under contract. These other teams need to make a blockbuster move. They need to nail a mid-round, first-round pick. New Orleans Mm -hmm. just has to get that one guy healthy, and they will have that piece. And so you could easily see them making that huge jump when all of these other things have gone right in this second half of the year. I didn't even mention Willie Green, who everyone seems to love as their new head coach. So my feelings about the Pelicans, I think because of that bad start, it took me too long to like kind of have the turnaround with them. And now I'm there. 
but it took me it took me too long yeah uh mine was that i was just dismissive of any of the nets issues before the season started yeah we both locked locked them them in in to over 56 wins i just thought doesn't matter they've got james harden james i said the words james harden is good for 50 wins on his own Uh, i'm not feeling good about that one Mm -mm. uh kyrie Mm -mm. irving's absence doesn't mean anything i'm not feeling good about that one either uh Anything else I said, I'm not feeling good about it. So kind of embarrassed about the way that I felt about the Nets, which I, I can rationalize all of it, but I still don't feel good about it. Yeah, like the signs were there. We should have taken them a little bit more seriously, even if we were not going to take the under just to not lock in the over. Oh, I locked it in. I locked it in with the utmost confidence and it was bad. Okay, our final award. This is the big award. This is the Team of the Year award. Now, this isn't like the ESPYs where it's just like, you know, a team that did really well. Mm -hmm. I want you to imagine if every team was their own reality show for this entire season. So you have, obviously, the team itself. You have the hosts, which would be the announcers. You have the people writing about the show. You have uh, people who are making podcasts about the show. It's the entire package. Who had the, who was like the most complete package from an entertainment perspective? So people you can follow on Twitter, uh, the fan base in general, you know, fan mm-hmm. podcasts, the storylines during the season. Who do you think was the team of the year in that respect? To me, it's easily the Memphis Grizzlies, who I think could win this award in a lot, any way you package it. I feel like they could win it because they've had probably the most entertaining season because there weren't these expectations that they were going to be at the top of the Western Conference. They started the season real low like we thought they're in trouble after jaw goes down then they rise up and they've had just an incredible season jaw has been unbelievable he's taken the next step all along the way like i think brevin knight's really good as an analyst for them uh keith Parrish is a friend of mine and somebody who does a podcast called grits and grind he works for grind city media uh it's wonderful you also have chris vernon who i think is one of the best out there uh who you know is watching and doing radio and podcasts on the Grizzlies as well. I just thought like the whole package is great. Their attitude, their, their fast breaks that you see pop up on your Twitter timeline. Even if you're not watching the games, like you're going to see what happened in Memphis that night because they're just such an entertaining team. And who doesn't like to watch young up and coming superstars in the NBA? Like everybody loves it. I mean, I took my whole family to see John Morant this year because it is just like it's the show of the NBA and they've got great people covering it too. So shout out to to Keith, go listen to Grits and Grind and the Grizzlies are my team. So your show would be a very uplifting show, I would say, if you're following oh no. this. <laughs> oh I no. need more going? I need more drama, Andrew. <laughs> okay. Which is why I'm going with the Sixers. Because okay. Yeah. This season for the Sixers has had so many storylines, like a good oh, and bad. Boy. Obviously, you had the huge Ben Simmons thing, which if yeah. that had gone beyond the trade deadline, you would say now that's just a miserable story. But the fact yeah. that that ended in such an explosion at oh, the trade deadline, it, it like so paid crazy. off in such a good way yes. that it, it made it all worth it, like the lead up to it. And then Maxi making the jump, Embiid having an MVP season. And then you just fact like they have a really deep bench in terms of media, like Derek Bodner, Rich Hoffman, Kyle Newbeck as beat writers that I follow and really like Jackson Frank got, writing at Liberty Ballers, Ben Dietrich. 
you got Ricky Sanchez, Sanchez, you know, ball like they they have such a good bench of fans covering this very weird, bizarre team that has had so many ups and downs. And they've just been consistently entertaining this entire season from beginning to end. And and there's still more to come with the Sixers. I know. That's the thing is that with the Grizzlies, it will be a happy ending no matter what happens. Even if they go, like, go down in like six, you'll be like, man, what a great season. For right. the Sixers, <laughs> if they lose in round one, it's, it's like burn it down. Because what are we going to do? Or it could, like, they could get to the conference finals and do something Joel Embiid has never done before. I mean, it's, it is, it is a great story because I'm still on pins and needles with it. I'm still watching who they're going to play in the playoffs because this could, it, it could go horrifically for them, as we saw in Toronto on Thursday night. Yes. So many times, like, when I'm choosing what fan podcast to listen to, like, for another team, I'm basing it on, like, what just happened with that team? Like, did something exciting happen or is yeah. something weird happening with that team? And it just feels like every week there has been something with the it's Sixers that it's worth yeah. tuning in to these podcasts. But both both deserving, both deserving candidates. Yeah. Well, another deserving candidate. Actually, they're not a deserving candidate at all, but they're going to be talked about on our podcast. It's the Washington Wizards and the most deserving candidate for our pod. Josh Robbins will join us right after this quick break. Andrew, it's time for the Wheel of Fandom segment where each week we spin a digital wheel. It lands on a random NBA team and we become fans of that team for the next week. This week, the final week of the regular season. Teams jockeying for playoff position. Awards races coming down to the wire. What could be more exciting than becoming fans of the Washington Wizards for seven days? The Wizards went 2-2 two and two this week with blowout wins over Dallas and Minnesota. They were also blown out themselves by Boston and also lost a game to Atlanta. The Wizards are 35-45 and 45 in the dreaded 11th spot in the East. Six games out of the playoff picture, but also not in a great position to get a good pick in the draft. Andrew, if the Wizards are our favorite team this week, who is our guest? Uh, the only reason to be excited about the Wizards is that we got Josh Robbins here on the pod of The Athletic. Josh, what's up? You're much too kind. You're much too kind and you're much too harsh on the Wizards, but um, <laughs> all good. All good. Happy to be here. Happy. To be, I'm so happy to be here. So delighted to be here that I've taken my mask off, taken my yes. mask off in a semi public <laughs> space. So if you should need video of this appearance, you actually see me talking rather than, you know, with a mask on, you know, so. Uh, this is my level of dedication to the show and to the two of you, Alex and Andrew, and, uh, you know, the people who listen to this. So happy to be here in, in all seriousness. Happy to be here. Yes. Uh, the Wizards made a big trade at the deadline. They sent Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans to Dallas uh, in exchange for Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, Porzingis has played 17 games with the Wizards uh, who have gone a respectable 7-10 and 10 in those games despite not having Beal or Kuzma for most or all of these games. Uh, what have been your early impressions of Porzingis in Washington? They haven't been much different from what I knew before. Tremendously talented. He can do so many things offensively. He can shoot from distance, even though he hasn't shot too, too well from distance. Uh, he can put the ball on the floor and drive. Uh, he remains a finesse player, which... Uh, isn't in itself bad, but 
Um, it, it limits part of what he can do offensively, although it should be said that for seventh, someone who is seven foot three, he can do other things other seven footers cannot. Uh, he's been tough, though. He's also been tough. And there have been several occasions where he's rolled an ankle, looked like he'd be out for the game, and he remained in. Uh, he's played unselfishly. He's played well. The, he seems to be happy to be here. And the people who he's now team with, teammates with are happy he's here. So I think it, it's been a good mix so far. It's been a good mix. He's played well. I wanted to ask you about Corey Kispert, who was the Wizards' first-round pick this year. He kind of was billed as a sharpshooter coming in the draft. He's currently shooting 35% from three. I'm actually interested, though, in what you think about the rest of his offensive game because while it's on small volume, his efficiency has been pretty good elsewhere on the court. For example, per cleaning the glass, Kispert has shot 74% at the rim this season, which is in the 90th percentile for wings. He's also been solid in the mid-range. Do you think there is more to get excited about his offensive game outside of the three-point shooting? There is, and you just mentioned my second favorite website, Cleaning the Glass. The first being, my trivia question to you guys is? The Athletic? Yes, of course it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, is there, yes, there, there are things to be excited about with, with Kispert. As a matter of fact, he's, he's been uh, average, I would say, with his three-point shooting, although it's gotten better, and I think there's certainly much room to grow. But really where he's been elite as cleaning the glass, I think is picking up is his cutting game. He's one of the best cutters I've ever seen. Um, certainly the best young cutter I've seen. And I think that's really where the, the high percentage of conversions at the rim comes in is that he finds the right time to cut. Uh, he gets himself open that way. And to their credit, his teammates find him there. So, uh, I think he needs to actually improve on finishing in traffic, which he doesn't do too, too much. But when you cut like that and you set up other team, set up your own shot, but more importantly, set up teammates for, for threes and for spacing, uh, that's a really great place to start. And uh, he's already an upper level cutter. Was that an upper so level answer? That was a plus. That was the most upper level. That was that was exactly what we wanted. I'm, I'm concerned that <laughs> I'm talking is, this too much. I'm concerned that I'm talking no. too much. No, this is why you're here. We want to educate the people about the wizards. That's what you're doing for us. Okay. People don't. But, you think you think any other podcast right now is talking about Corey Kispert's cutting? Zero. 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 That's how we're many. the only one. Well, this is it. Well, we're, now we are in the 99th. Your your podcast is in the 99th percentile <laughs> for cleaning the glass. <laughs> which, which omits heaves at the end of quarters and garbage time minutes and um, really has been essential to my coverage. But but we digress. We, we digress. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, I feel like I'm stealing the show from the two of you. And that's a very, very dangerous <laughs> thing to do. No, absolutely not. Uh, I want to ask about Denny and Rui, two guys that I don't feel like I have a, a good idea of who they're going to be as NBA players. One, tell me which one you think is better, and then tell me what these guys need to do to reach their NBA potential. In all seriousness, will it be? Will I be skirting the question if I say they're better? One guy's better at one thing, the other guy's better at the other. <laughs> or do you want to? Yes, that is that is absolutely skirting okay, the question. Well, I think that's the definition of skirting the question. <laughs> all right, so I'm going. I'm going to have to say Denny is better which is a controversial okay. 
uh, a controversial answer because certainly Rui is a better scorer. Uh, he's now in oh, about 110 attempts. He's been an elite three-point shooter. Uh, he's a far better. He's got more to his offensive scoring game than Denny has by a wide, by a significant margin, I'd say. Um, he also uses his strength offensively in a way that Denny doesn't do yet. However, uh, Denny, I think, is far superior on the defensive end. I think he's more engaged. Uh, certainly, as a one-on-one defender, I think he's more uh, successful. In terms of getting other players involved on the offensive end, Denny is better. Certainly running the pick and roll, Denny's better. He's got better core vision. He's more willing to give up the ball than Rui. But I will also say this, uh, Rui's three-point shooting, because it, it's, a, it's going to be a huge asset. The one part you mentioned you don't have a good feel for both players. I have trouble getting a feel for Rui. And I'm the doggone beat writer. And yes, he's mm-hmm. only played half a season. But I think there's part of the reason isn't just because I'm stupid. That's part of it, <laughs> some of it. But I think uh, really it's, um, thank the Lord you guys are, one of you is laughing. Andrew, thank you for laughing at my stupid comment. Uh, this leaves me to think that maybe I truly am stupid. No, it really is that I think <laughs> Rui's, Rui, Rui has uh, a significant area to grow. And if he gets there, then my answer changes to a significant degree. Because he has the, I think he has the physical gifts to be a good defender. Uh, I think he, I, I question whether he will ever be someone who really shares the ball effectively. But if he can get to certain area, if he can get better defensively, put more into it defensively, pass the ball a little bit more and maintain his three-point shooting, then I think he's got the higher ceiling with the caveat, yet another one, that you know, there are layers to Abdiya's game that he's only beginning to show his passing for one. Mm-hmm. So another storyline with this season has been first-year head coach, Wes Unsell Jr. During their hot start, it seemed like they might have a defensive identity. They ranked fourth in defense through that first month. Then the defense fell off. We started getting reports of locker room drama. COVID hit, forcing the Wizards to play a franchise record number of players. There was the benching of Daniel Gafford, the Beal injury that ended all playoff hopes. How do you assess Unsell Jr.'s first year of coaching and what has been a roller coaster of a season? Difficult to assess. I think the one the so we we did write in December that there was a lot of strife within the team about players' offensive roles. That, did they get enough shots, um, et cetera? And I and that really did have an impact on how that team performed particularly when it faced adversity. Uh, the depths of, of the issue, I think, um, had been hinted at subsequent to that report through some cryptic comments that Dinwiddie has had, uh, certainly some comments that Bertans has had. How do we assess unselled then? Uh, that would have been a very difficult situation for any coach to handle. Yeah. I, I, don't fully, I don't really fully fault him for that, though I would think that perhaps a more experienced coach might have been able to get that under control more quickly. Uh, He faced an enormously difficult situation for all the reasons you stated. And for another, you didn't state that he got the job somewhat late in the process relative to the other new coaches. Uh, 
I, I think, and this is my opinion, a difficult locker room to manage. Several big egos there. That's not, you know, there are big egos everywhere in every workplace, um, not just sports and not just the NBA. But I think it was tough. In terms of the other areas, you're right. They don't have a defensive identity right now. They just don't. And they're, they're, farther, they're further along from establishing that than Unseld had expected. I think he's done a, a good job. I think next year in order, for the most part, under extraordinarily difficult circumstances. But I also don't think one can say that this team right now are or really has after the first month of the season that it's ever been more than the sum of its parts, except for maybe this stretch of the last 17 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. he's, he's still going to have a lot to prove next year, I think. And the biggest measuring stick for it will be the defense because uh, he's got acumen on both sides of the ball for sure, but he, uh, he was expected to improve this team defensively and the improvement has not, has not happened, has not happened. Mm-hmm. So let's finish with Bradley Beal since the immediate future of this franchise depends on what he does this summer. Uh, he's been out for a while with a wrist injury, he had surgery on that wrist. Uh, and we're already hearing rumors about what could happen this summer. What's the current mood around Beal with regards to, the wizard side of things. And does it feel inevitable that he'll re-sign this summer? Or do you think that that's more up in the air? No, I think things are as he has acknowledged publicly uh, that he is leaning toward accepting uh, the five-year max contract. Uh, not a surprise. Uh, that fifth year, the, the higher annual raises, those are that's a significant inducement. And I think he's also being sincere when he says he wants to to he likes it here uh, and he feels like he has uh, a degree of an obligation to get the team better at the same time it's also quite obvious that he is exerting some influence as to what he would like to see the the, the team do uh, he, part of that is that the team needs to win now right next year he doesn't want to be in a situation where the team is rebuilding uh, so the mood around him, I, I, I think, is generally speaking, the expectation that he will return. The mood around the fans I find more interesting. Uh, it seems to me, and it's impossible to measure, that, the, that a sizable chunk of fans don't want him back at, the max, at max money. Yeah. Because, of the, because their thinking goes that he's not a superstar level player and you don't pay non-superstars max money. I get why Wizards fans would think that given the team's history and common sense. So there are two moods. One, I think, within the franchise and around Beal and the one among fans. It's a fascinating dynamic, one that I didn't expect to see um, when I got here. Would you say that the like if they do bring Beal back, they sign him to that five-year deal. They have Porzingis now. Like, are they just a point guard away from being a competent team? Are there any point guards out there that Wizards fans are already looking at as someone they could potentially bring in this summer? Because it does feel like the weakest spot on the team. Well, it is. And as David Aldridge has written, and I think he's correct, they can't go into the season 
uh, without a long-term solution there. They thought Spencer Dinwiddie would be the solution. He, yeah, it fell apart in the most fascinating part of the whole season, I think, for them. Um, that has to get settled. Now, the Porzingis Beal pairing is fascinating because it's really the first time the Wizards have paired him with a upper level talent in the front court. The other mm-hmm. talents that the team has has paired him with have been either John Wall or Russell Westbrook, backcourt players. So can it work with him next to an elite level talent in the front court? I'm fascinated to see. In terms of the point guard situation, well, I wouldn't put anything past Tommy Shepard because his ability to move off that Westbrook contract and prior to that to move off the wall contract for Westbrook, that's some that's some big time wheel and dealing. And while I would say that in a vacuum right now, it looks bleak that they could find the, di- the difference maker they want and need at point guard. Uh, I wouldn't put anything past him because if you would ask me at the time, could they move off of Wall's salary and get a difference maker? I would have said no. And could they move off of Westbrook's salary uh, and get competent players in return and more flexibility? I would have said unlikely. Yeah. So I wouldn't under, underestimate Shepard in this case. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Well, Josh, thank you so much for answering our questions, but now it is time to play Andrew versus the Beat, weekly game show where Andrew goes head-to-head against a beat writer. This week, of course, Josh Robbins, his second appearance on Andrew versus the Beat, and now with a different team. So now you're going to uh, do Wizards Trivia. Now you probably remember the rules, but I'll remind you that I've come up with eight questions all about the Wizards. Uh, you'll give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, I just need a number between one and eight. Can I start us off by saying I'm worried? Of course. <laughs> After how the last episode went. This could be your comeback, though. <laughs> well, well, yes. Well, I'm thinking positively, but I'm also thinking negatively. I'm doing both. I'm multitasking. I'm worried, concerned, frazzled. All right, so you'd like a number, right? That, that is right, between one and eight. Okay, I would like to go with 12. But no, uh, I w- I'll go with two, please. Two? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. 
Contavious Caldwell Pope has attempted 408 three-pointers so far this season and is shooting 39% on those attempts. Pretty good. Did you know there are only five Wizards in history who have attempted more three-pointers in a season? Yes. How, and how the many answer can is you name? And what? Uh, how many can you name? And I will give you a point for each one that you get. So you have a potential to get five points here, Josh. This is a big score. But can you do it? So all you have to tell me are names of Wizards who have taken more than 408 threes in a season. And do I get any uh, subtractions if I get them wrong? Uh, no, Andrew will get will get a shot in that in that instance. Okay, all right. Let's get serious here then. All right, so I would say uh, Bradley Beal. That is correct for one point. Fantastic, just fantastic. <laughs> it's a great start. I, yes, it is a great start. So encouraging. Otto Porter Jr., Oh, and now we're on to a bad start. Okay, no, Otto okay. Porter is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal potentially four points here, Andrew. Um, <laughs> Davis Bertans. Oh, Lord. Davis Bertans is correct for oh. one point. Can, can I steal back if he gets deal. one wrong? Uh, no, you cannot. You can. Uh, you could <laughs> guess again, but they're not going to be worth any points. Just pride. <laughs> What about John Wall? Did John Wall ever do it? He did not. Okay, so it's only one point okay. for each of you. Josh, what were your other guesses going to be? All I can say is thank the good Lord he only got one. <laughs> 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 uh, my other guesses would be Karan Butler. Uh, also incorrect. All right, then let's just stop it right here. I mean, I, I mean I'll continue uh, to play the game, but I'm just embarrassed now. So, so the other big one who hit a lot, Gilbert Arenas. Yeah. Oh, Gil. And then Trevor Ariza yeah. and Deshaun Stevenson. So those ones are a little tougher because they're, you know, role players. Oh, okay. okay yeah. Andrew, the board is yours. Number one. Question number one. Corey Kispert broke the Wizards' rookie record for most three-pointers this season with his 92nd three. He is now up to 106 on the season, but has a way to go to catch this NBA All-Star who holds the NBA record for most three-pointers by a rookie with 187. So Kispert has the Wizards franchise record, but this player holds the NBA record for most three-pointers by a rookie, 187. Hmm. Probably be a recent rookie. Hmm. You would think. Will Josh have a chance to huh. steal? Can Andrew get it? It's not Anthony Edwards, is it? It is not! Josh, you have a chance okay. to steal for one point. Can you tell me? Who has the NBA record for most threes by a rookie? By a current All-Star or former All-Star? I specifically left it ambiguous as just this NBA All-Star. Oh, I, I forgot about the All-Star portion of it. All right, I'm going to go with Clay Thompson. A great guess. That is also incorrect. The answer, Donovan Mitchell. 187 threes. Dame is at 185. So Dame is, is second on that list. Wow. All right. right. I, like where, I like where the score is right now. I like where it the is score is. One one. <laughs> okay. It I'm going to go with eight, please. Question number eight. Okay. There have been 26 two man lineups for the Wizards that have played more than 500 minutes together. This player on the Wizards appears in the top three two man lineups when sorted by net rating. All right. That's a facet. That truly is a fascinating question. I'm going to go with a crazy guess. Okay. I think it's Corey Kispert. 
It is not. Ugh. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Who so do you think that falling. wizard is? I'm so <laughs> crazy. Daniel Gafford? Daniel Gafford, no, Andrew. It is Denny Avdia. Denny. Denny Avdia. Would you believe? See, see, you're when you said that he was the better of the two earlier, you were right. You were right. There you go. Evidence. You feeling better? Not feeling better. <laughs> Not feeling better. No, I still feel rot. I feel rotten. <laughs> I feel rotten. This game is just injur- injurious to my self-esteem. <laughs> All right, Andrew. I can I can relate. It is your Number turn. Three. Number three? Yeah. Okay. Number three. Kristaps Porzingis is one of only seven players this season to have a 30-point game for two different NBA franchises. We're going to try to name the other six. So how this works, Andrew will give me a name, then Josh will give you a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. So these are players who had a 30-point game for at least two different franchises. And actually only two. (laughs) Not at least. (laughs) At least. Uh, James Harden. James Harden is correct. Over to Josh. Old Josh is going to take his old sweet time here because <laughs> Josh can't afford to lose this match. And um, old Josh is really uh, putting a lot of emotional uh, investment into this. All right, I'm going to go with Tyrese Halliburton. That is correct. Back to Andrew. Nice. Sabonis. That is correct. Back to Josh. So there are three names left. Now, if you guys somehow get all six, the points would go to Andrew. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. All six points would go to Andrew? No, no, no. Not, it's just two points. There's just two points. <laughs> okay. But, but if you got <laughs> all six, don't say. worry. And don't I know worry. I know my voice went up a couple octaves there, but that would have been... You're about to protest the game. No, I wasn't going to protest, but I certainly was going to be crestfallen. I'm going to go with a crazy answer here. I'm going to go with Josh Hart. Okay. Very good guess. He did score over 30 multiple times this year, but it was all for the Portland Trailblazers, which means that Andrew gets it. Andrew gets the two points. The other names, Karis LeVert, CJ McCollum, and the former wizard, Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer yeah. Dinwiddie. Okay. Now, Josh, you are down by two, but guess what? The board is yours. That's that's hardly that's hardly uh, significant uh, excitement for me. Uh, I'm going to go with seven. Please. Seven. All right, let's go. Big comeback. Here we go. Here we go. For two points. Who was the last team the Wizards beat in a playoff series? Let's say Indiana. The Indiana Pacers. Were they the last team the Wizards beat in a playoff series? They were not. Josh, I'm sorry that was incorrect, which means Andrew gets a chance to steal. And not as sorry as I am. For one point, Andrew, (laughs) can you remember who the last team was that the Wizards beat in a playoff series? I think this is the Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks. That is correct for one point. Andrew's on a roll now, and he has control of the board with only three questions left. Number four. Question number four. Kyle Why did Kuz- I accept this podcast appearance? 
Because the people love you. <laughs> they got to hear from you. They me. might love me, but they're not going to respect me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrew, number four. Kyle Kuzma leads the Wizards in total rebounds this season. It is the third straight season a non-center has led the Wizards in rebounds. Who are the other two non-centers who led the Wizards in rebounds? What kind of ridiculous questions are these? How is that, how is that a ridiculous question? <laughs> That's a completely normal question. You don't think it's interesting that a center no, has not led the team in rebounds for three consecutive seasons? It, it's fascinating. Uh, it is, but it's, uh, you know, well, I don't know what I think. I'm just going to. Maybe I will protest. Last season, last season, it had to be Westbrook. Okay, so you, that's one of your guesses, and and you you have to get um, all or nothing. That's. <laughs> I, I feel like I can barely remember what that team was. <laughs> all I can think, the only name that pops in my head that season is Isak Bonga. But Ooh, uh, okay, deep cut. <laughs> it's the only guy I was producing Fred's podcast then, and that's all that we. There was way too much Bonga talk that year. You um, got Bonga on the brain. Bongo on the brain. Gosh, I just don't know. Is it Ber- uh, maybe Bertans? Bertans was good that season. I'll go Bertans. Uh, that is incorrect. Josh, you have a chance to steal, and uh, Andrew may have already given you half of the answer. No, no, I, I figured out that it was Westbrook. Um, but now I am trying to figure out the other answer, and it is essential that I get this right. Is it not? I would say it is. Yes. It would be helpful to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. This is really not funny. I don't know how how on earth (laughs) did I get myself into this predicament. You're having a perfectly nice Friday. About to watch the Knicks and Wizards, and then you got to hang out with us. Well, hanging out with you guys is great. Covering the Knicks and Wizards is great. This is humiliating. This is humiliating. is just this is just terrible i will say if one of you somehow got this this it would be very impressive like i didn't make this up this guy really did lead the wizards in rebounds but i don't know how a person would guess this is he still on the wizards no all right i'm gonna i'm gonna defer here and i'm gonna take the one point for westbrook okay Uh, that's that is not how it works josh (laughs) you cannot change the scoring (laughs) no no i know i know okay who is it? The correct answer. Yeah, who is it? Troy Brown Jr. led the Wizards what? in rebounds for an entire season. It had to have been an absurdly low number. Right? I mean, it was, but like at the same time, like it, he did it. No one else averaged more than him, or no one yeah. totaled more than him. Okay, Josh. That's that is weird. It that might is feel weird. Like, it might feel like you're down and out, but guess what? You're only three back. There's two questions left, and I'll tell you, one of the questions could go absolutely either way. <laughs> So you just choose five or six. If you get the two points here, you'll still have a shot. All right, I'm going to go with five, please. All right. Now, before you answer, there's extra rules for this one. The question is, how many NBA franchises has Ish Smith played for? But here's here's (laughs) the deal. You get to pick who answers first. So if you know the answer, you could go first, and then Andrew could guess second. Or you can make Andrew guess first, and then you could say higher or lower. But if you let Andrew guess, he might get it exactly. So there's some risk there. <laughs> how do you how do you keep a straight face with this? 
Actually, you can't, which shows how great a sense of humor you have, which is significant. Okay, I'm I take, go I take the game very seriously. Well, yes, you do, and so do I. And um, I'm going to answer it outright. Oh, wow. Confidence. I love it. I, he's played for 12 franchises. Okay, that is Josh's answer. Andrew, would you like to go higher or lower? So Josh has guessed 12. I'll say higher. The correct answer. Ish Smith has played for 12 NBA franchises. That is two points for Josh Robbins. And that means going into the final question, he is within one. No. Andrew, the final question. Thank the Lord. I really wanted to ask Josh this question first, but this Andrew, you're going to get first dibs, okay? Yep. What's fair is fair. In the late 2000s, Jay-Z made a song called Playoff, which was a diss track directed to which former Washington wizard? Deshaun Stevenson. Andrew, that is correct. And Andrew has won the week six to three over Josh Robbins. Josh, though, we got to admire your confidence on that last question, though. You came through. You knew the Ish Smith history. Shouldn't shouldn't that count for something? Well, it counts for something, but... Really, this is a results. This is a results game. And Andrew, to your credit, you're you're two and zero in matchups against me. And and my hat's off to you, even though you're wearing a hat right now. And um, you know, you're, you're you're a formidable opponent. And Alex, you are quite the quiz master. I don't know how Jeopardy didn't go after you right off the bat and settle on uh, the people that that Je- Jeopardy settled on, they'd be in a lot better shape if they just went directly to you. Well, Josh, <laughs> we're, we, we want to have you back on the show eventually down the road. And I want you to know that, you know who else was up 2-0? The Suns in last year's finals. You could be, you could be the Bucks. This could be the start of your run the next time you come back. You could be Giannis of Andrew versus the Beat. Well, I was only up 1-0. And so, thank you. And, you know, what can I tell you? What can I tell you? You know, there there have been, I think the, did the Toronto Raptors not go down 1-0 to the Magic and then win the win the title? I think that's yes. true, yes. So that could have been you, yeah, but but we're, we're past that now. Yeah. We're now down yeah. 0-2. <laughs> we're, we're, we're moved on, moved on to Giannis. I put my mask on, <laughs> not just for, not really for safety right now, but really just for to hide my embarrassment <laughs> just to hide my embarrassment Josh thanks so much for thanks for coming I on the show, show my face uh, be sure anymore. to go read Josh's coverage <laughs> go read Josh's coverage on the I athletic can't show Josh my face anymore. <laughs> thanks so much <laughs> thanks again to Josh Robbins for coming on the show no wheel of fandom this week we will preview the western conference here on the Saturday Slam and Jam next week. So get ready for a Western Conference playoff preview. Before we go, Al, I've got a couple five-star reviews. This one comes from Wizards Trash Talker, who says, My, my, how the basketball gods have shined upon us and blackened the skies to NBA viewers at large. The wheel of fandom giveth, and the wheel, and the wheel of fandom taketh away. Unlike Alex's dismayed reaction to landing on the Wizards for the final week of the regular season, I was overjoyed. 
After having just walloped the Mavericks by 32 at home in the KP Spencer Dinwiddie Revenge game, a game I was in the building for, also Hall of Fame night, shout out Wes Unseld, we took a big fat L in a 42-point loss to the Celtics, LOL. A perfectly wizard's turn of events. I hope our ragtag squad keeps you entertained for the week. Shout out Josh Robbins for his always stellar Wizards coverage. Please revive Wizards After Dark. Miss you, Fred Katz. And also, special shout out to Matt Moderno of Bullets Forever and my favorite Wizards podcast, Believe in Wizards. Five stars. Five stars. Thank you so much for that. And our last review this week comes from at J dot underscore dot dot. Y'all killing it with the Saturday Slam and Jam. It makes my workday less miserable. And I look forward to hearing the show. Keep up the good work. Also, I was really hoping y'all got the Clippers before the season was over, but it is what it is. Well, hopefully we'll talk some Clippers next week as we preview the playoffs. Hopefully they get through the play-in and we'll give them a nice hefty segment. Thanks so much for listening to our show and we will talk to you guys again next week.